Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with our subject today is Adam and Fallen Man. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. And we are so glad you could be with us this morning. We will start with our morning prayer. I'm reading from Watches, Prayers, and Arguments, page 154, or if you have the small one by David Keaston, it's on page 86. Children, you are a perfect thought of God, made in his image and likeness, surrounded by his love, as by a strong fortress through which no evil can reach you. You have no material conception or birth, no father and mother in the flesh. You are not the reflection of belief. Belief is not reflection. You are not weak or easily led astray. You are not rebellious or obstinate. You have no human will. God's will is all and you are its reflection. Therefore, you will only do right. For you reflect and inherit divine wisdom and understanding. You are spiritual, and spirit knows all things. Sensuality has no power over you, for you are not conscious of the lusts of the flesh, but you are the pure conception of divine truth and love, and co-eternal with your father, mother, God. In God we live, move, and have being. Therefore, we are in life, health, strength, forever. To be conscious of this is to be in the presence of God, with the Father, who is life, truth, and love. Amen. We are the children of the King. Why should we mourn? Very Thank you. That's beautiful. We were instructed here to work with that every day. Powerful treatment. Whether you have children or not, we're all children of God, right? So <laughs> beautiful. Thank you, Florence. Um, the watching point, Karen. Okay. Watch number 411. Watch lest you unintentionally practice on your brother man. A human attitude of any kind is malpractice. At times it helps to meet this tendency by thinking, if I malpractice on him, I am malpracticing on God. If I belittle him, I am belittling God. If I stick the pin of malice, injustice, envy, jealousy, or revenge in him, I am sticking it in God. To be sure, your brother man is not God, but he is the idea of God, inseparable from him. The Bible tells us that if we do not love man whom we have seen, how can we love God whom we have not seen? Thank you. <clears throat> and comments on that? Well, this, this uh, little poem... Um, by J. Woodruff Smith, Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. 
I don't know, when I read that, I immediately went to the part of the watching point and thought, if I'm seeing Genesis, the man of Genesis 2, I am malpracticing on him, and consequently malpracticing on God. So, is is it Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 that I'm looking at? And I don't know, I found that poem very helpful in that regard. Thank you. And isn't this what divine love is about? Yes. Yeah. The difference between divine love and human so-called love? Yeah. Really loving your brother man is to see him as God sees him. Yeah. Micah 6, uh, 8 comes to my thought uh, with this. Like, what does the Lord require of thee? but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. I think if, if it seems to me, if I'm doing that, then all every day, you know, just thinking I'm supposed to be just to love mercy and to walk humbly with my God. Therefore, I'm not looking, judging someone, oh, they are this, they are that, or if, if I see someone, um, crippled or something like Mrs. Eddie did. You know, you love, you see them rightly. You have mercy. And that helps me a lot with this watch. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, and just a simple treatment for would you like it if someone was saying this about you or thinking this about you? Would you like it? It's the golden rule. No. And and here we were taught even, you know, even little things like even if you think, oh, that person is, is so wonderful. I mean, that sounds harmless enough, but. Um, Humanly. Yes, it's a human attitude. Or if someone is thinking you're so wonderful. It, it's there's something human there. You feel like you need a shower. after. <laughs> it's it's a. Uh, it's comparison. It's it's odious. Yeah, it's not divine, and and it is a little bit of of yes, the comparison that well maybe I'm not so wonderful, but you're very wonderful, and that's that's all malpractice. We're all the children of God, and we must see each other that way. During our time together today, I'm going to. Uh, talk about the pamphlet Herbert Rickey Association Addresses Volume 1 no, no Big Veto Power No Big Power Veto and Immortality and in that he brings out 39 things <laughs> in Genesis 2 that he strips away it's really good if, if you, some of you still don't have this yet get it you can download it on our website right Oh yeah, it's definitely on there. It's on the book section. Mm -hmm. He's got his own uh, his own little part of the tab. So. Yes, and it's also you can buy it from Ann Beals, the bookmark. Mm -hmm. But anyway, concerning the watching point, he says that this. He says this is a, the fifth don't. He goes through all thirty nine, which of course we won't go to. But it is the shortest one, and therefore I hope you will never forget it. It is just one little word, but. But there went up mist from the earth. You all know what that 
little word that means. It is a reversing conjunction. And you know what it does. You have heard Mrs. Jones is a very good mother and wife, but. <laughs> and you know what comes after, something not so good. You have all heard the student of Christian science say, yes, I know I'm really God's image and likeness, but. <laughs> Look out for what follows. Here comes the mist that would cause you to lose your way and stumble. And we all do it or done it. So watch out for those buts. Um, because, yes, what follows usually isn't so good. <laughs> so and that that begins the mist. And we don't want to be in that mist. Right. <clears throat> no. So did anyone else have anything to say about the watching point? Right. Well, before we get into the lesson again, um, there are just a couple things I wanted to mention. Our upcoming liberator, which will be the one for November. Oh, December? Oh, phew. Okay. <laughs> um, December, and it's Peace on Earth, Goodwill Toward Men is the theme of it. Luann has already painted us this gorgeous picture of autumn picture. We'll call it November Reflection. It's beautiful. If any of you have anything you want to write or say, um, you can send it to Carol or Jeremy or me. Um, also, some of you might have noticed that the forum is down. So if any of you want to share something in the roundtable, um, you could send that directly to me now. Um, can't promise I'll use it, but if I don't use it, maybe it will find its way into the Liberator or the newsletter or something else. But we're always very grateful for your ideas. And then last week I mentioned um, a Mrs. Eddie made that prophecy by the year 2100. Yes. Yeah. And um, Jeremy found some really good things on prophecy. Mm. One from Association Addresses by Big Dal Young. Page 15 of the 1926 address. Do you want to read it? Jeremy, do you have I it? I didn't bring it. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I have it marked there. Okay. You can read it. Uh, I found the following helpful from Association Addresses. Um, quote, real Christian scientists understand the nature of prophecy. Foreseeing evil is but the ability to discern what already exists in mortal mind. And if it stops there, is not only valueless, but may lead to highly objectionable results and belief by serving the purposes of mental malpractice. If we can foresee evil, we can, through Christian science work, prevent evil from happening. And this is exactly what we should do. End quote. And then there's another quote. When such a prophecy is presented, Something should occur within our own mental vision where science is being announced and its principle is being declared, which will offset that prophecy and all the beliefs that are said to justify it. And the more radical this work is, the more certain are we to find the desired results and improved human conditions. Thank you. And this is 
what we talked about last week, um, changing the course of history. If you hear hear some negative prophecy going on or just even a talk, it's up to us to make sure we reverse that, right? That you don't go along with and and know that no that will not happen why should it happen it doesn't have to happen um now there are some prophecies like the prophecy of Christ Jesus now that was a wonderful prophecy and that we can support or would support and still support because he is still unfolding himself to us the Christ consciousness but a lot of these negative things that come up and even um it later on says from the Carpenter book that uh, Jeremy quoted from that uh, the year 2100 Carpenter was just saying Mrs. Eddy wanted us to make sure we were awake and working off our haunches right yeah. <laughs> feel the danger feel the danger she says and watches prison arguments so she gave it a date rather than just oh well any old time so let, let's, in other words, let's get our act together and our hands in a row or whatever, eggs in a row or whatever that is. <laughs> but anyway, get well, working, which we better be doing. She, she talks somewhere about it's up to future ages to determine the good that is done. But we don't want future ages to, to feel the lack of work that we did, that's for sure. Exactly. So. We're here right now for a specific purpose. And we we make sure we are not made to forget or neglect our duty to God, to our leader, and to mankind. We can change the course of events and uh, and bring Christ to earth, not the Adam dream. Gary, do you want to say something? Mm -mm. Oh, no. Okay. I'm... Well, the rule for motives and acts, you know, it says the members of this church should daily watch and pray to be delivered from all evil, from prophesying, judging, condemning, counseling, influence, or being influenced. And we could change it. I mean, not change it. We can also think delivered from all evil, from prophecy. I don't know yes. that came to Yes, yeah. I, I thought about, prophecy. Yeah, I thought about that too, because sometimes we do inadvertently, we will prophesy some negative thing, right? We talk yeah. about it a lot. I mean, it's all over the news right now. Um, and one thing, you know, they're saying about all these shortages, all right? Multitudinous amount of shortages. Every direction we're shorted. So, again, Herbert Rieke, the next era to be avoided is this, that the ground is cursed and is directed to bring forth thorns and thistles to choke out the supply of food for men. In order that we might be doing our best to help solve food problems of the world, let us deny this godless lie that the earth is ever cursed. God always blesses and never curses anything. There is no curse of drought, hurricane, flood, pestilence, seeds, untimely frost, abnormal heat, or cold in the one and only kingdom of God. Help yourself and all mankind by helping the agriculturalist along this line i had heard someone a while ago a, a well-known scientist i don't remember his name but anyway he was talking about how the earth has more than enough to meet the needs of all people all the time all the time now either you're a christian 
scientist and you know this to be true, or you are an atom man who thinks it's not true and we've got global warming and we've got shortages here, there, and everywhere, and we all have to fight each other because no one has enough. So which are you going to be and which are you predicting? You better be on the right side because if you're not on the right side, you might end up experiencing the Adam dream in your in your dream belief. Divine love always has met and always will meet. Every human need is not a lie. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Florence. God did not make any mistakes when he created the earth and the heaven and mankind and all the creatures that we love to live with. <laughs> There's that thing that Jesus says about, you know, the, the man building the tower that doesn't take everything into account and then has to stop halfway through and everyone laughs at him. That is not what God did with the universe. He, he did take everything into account. It is all complete. It is all complete. It, it's a compound idea of God, and it, it's beautiful and complete, and we must hold it as such. Otherwise, guess what? We are malpracticing on the earth and all the inhabitants therein. So when you hear all this rada, rada, rada on the news, and hopefully you don't because you'll keep it turned off, you don't go along with it. It's all it's all the Adam dream. Um, and, and ultimately, there's not two, not the Adam dream and not the true sense of existence, not Genesis two and Genesis one. There's only Genesis one. We just have to uh, declare for it and bring it to pass. And we can. Why? It's already it's the truth. It's the truth. What do you mean? Exactly. It's the truth. Regardless of what we say or do or think, it is the truth. And and speaking of the that Gary mentioned, Herbert Ricci again, here is the 13th lie, that animals, birds, etc., as well as man, are made from the ground or matter. Don't believe it for one second. Trouble lies in this false belief of material creation. What is your concept of all creatures? What names or natures do you attribute to dogs, cats, bees, spiders, and snakes? Great naturalists have, have observed that animals behave themselves just as man expects them to. I mean, you know, a dog trainer, <laughs> that's, that's what you learn. Therefore, such naturalists as Sam Campbell can be friends with many animals which appear as enemies to ordinary folk. Some Christian scientists are willing to grant that man is spiritual and perfect, but they still see animals as mortal and material. Be sure that you uplift your concept of all of God's creatures, and then they will never harm you. You need to be clear along these lines in regard to crops, gardens, etc. Now, isn't that wonderful? Because you know, we get so much of that too. All these bad creatures, right? Infestations. Yes. This is the answer. 
I call it defanging them, defanging the mortal mind belief about them, defanging what the Adam dream says about them. Loose them and let them go. And I guess I, I imagine some of you have seen, what is it, the TV station Planet Earth or and Animal Planet. Animal Planet. <laughs> yeah. And I remember seeing pictures of these men living with grizzly bears and mm-hmm. all kinds of things, you know, harmoniously or having tigers and lions as pets. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm suggesting anyone do that, but I'm saying <laughs> if you ever needed to, you could. Because that's the truth. What the lion will lie down with the yeah. lamb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is what we have. That is what we know. But you need to work on it, right? And not just um, go along with whatever everyone else is thinking. And this is the point. And that's why really studying this Reiki thing is is very helpful. So I, it's interesting that we're talking about this because I and I don't know if anybody has of this little book called Triumph and other poems by Max Dunaway, but he has the most beautiful poem about the ants. The ants? And I read it the other day and it's he just takes the ants and I mean it's beautiful what he says about ants and we've been having problems in the house all over with that. And I read this poem the other day and it's like Whoa, <laughs> that's what ants can, I mean, he is just beautiful Yes, in his little book. It's, um, but he takes the, I mean, he sees them as industrious, and I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> so I just wanted to share, maybe I can. All right, <laughs> Adam and Fallen Man, golden text, Lil. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, made alive. Thank you. And in the responsive reading, you know, there are beautiful, couple of beautiful things Carrie, Carrie had shared with me. Um, one is, well, when I looked up, those that be planted are the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And that word flourish, to thrive, to grow luxuriantly, to increase and enlarge, to be prosperous, to grow in grace and in good works. So to think about that, that you, you're flourishing, you're going to flourish, the righteous will flourish, like the cedar in Lebanon. And then... And flourishing, comes. what comes with it, this doesn't mean you're going to accumulate a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> what it means is that you will have all of your needs met and you will be at peace with yourself. Yeah. You will have more peace, more love. Yes. Yeah. And because love is reflected in love, you you will feel God's love more than you ever did before. I think of flourishing as giving off, too. When you think of a tree growing and expanding, you know, it, it gives shade and beauty and it's in more, greater and greater amounts as it grows. So I kind of took it also as like just, you know, expressing outward. Thank you. Yeah. 
it creates oxygen for the rest of us. Yeah. In the Benson commentary, he says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, which is constantly green and flourishing, spreads its branches very wide and grows to a vast size, affording a most refreshing shade to travelers. It also produces date, a very sweet, luscious, and grateful kind of fruit. It is the most beautiful tree and every way invaluable and an, an invaluable treasure to the inhabitants of those hot countries and therefore a fit emblem of the flourishing state of a righteous man. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The cedars in Lebanon are immensely large, being some of them 35 or even 40 feet in girt and 37 yards in the spread of their boughs. They flourish for ages and are always green, and when cut down, yield a most beautiful kind of wood, inclining to a brown color, solid, durable, and in some sort incorruptible. These, then, as well as the palm trees compared with the short-lived and withering grass, are a striking illustration of the well-founded, durable, and continually increasing virtue and happiness of the truly righteous in opposition to the momentary trifling and perpetually decaying prosperity of the wicked. So, so take that. <laughs> and then how important it is that we see ourselves like that and not growing old and withered and all of that, but flourishing like the palm tree and this beautiful cedar tree the, the palm tree is really wonderful the palm we have in ghana it it we get make brooms out of the the you know the leaves two oil come from it and then we you can make soup too with the oh wow yeah so one tree uh, the only thing that i don't know is you can they make wine too from it so mm -hmm. it's <laughs> It's a, it's a wonderful one tree. You have all those things from it. <clears throat> that is beautiful. Thank you, Florence. Only God could make a tree. Yeah. Only God. Only God. Absolutely. Such variety and beauty. And see, these are the this is the truth about God's creation. Creation one, Genesis one. It also says in the comment commentary on. Ellicott's commentary for English readers about the verse to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night it says the two most prominent features in the display of the covenant relation of God towards his people, the connection of loving kindness or grace with the morning and faithfulness, faithfulness or truth with the evening is only a result of the Hebrew poetic style. And yet, there is a fitness in the association. Love breaks through the clouds of doubt as the morning light rises on the night. And thoughts of God's unerring and impartial justice best suit the evening, the trial time of the day. So I, I thought that was a beautiful thought. In the morning, the loving kindness and grace of God is what we need first thing. And then sometimes after a long day, after we're yeah. struggling with a lot of things, we 
the unerring and impartial justice is something good to think about. So the beautiful poetry of the Psalms, that wonderful David is just beautiful. So Nancy, would you like to tell us what you wrote about on the on the forum, or not on the forum that you sent to me? <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, Genesis 1 in the lesson, uh, God said, let us make man in our image. And before coming to Plainfield, I always thought about who is this us? Let us make man. So while studying the lesson, I decided to reread um, Mrs. Eddy's chapter on Genesis. And I also went to Ricky's. Um, he has a beautiful, as you have been speaking about in his uh, No Power Veto about Genesis. And although I have been learning here who this us is, um, it became very clear to me that um, it's all the synonyms of God. This us is the truth, the life, the love, principle, mind, soul, and spirit. All that God is and all that he imparts that I or we all naturally reflect as his image and likeness. And then it occurred to me <laughs> more than once that this let them have dominion. It happens when uh, we have to be mindful every day. It's our responsibility to express these qualities. And the more that we express them in our thoughts and our words and in our actions, by demonstrating these qualities daily, that's how we gain our God-given dominion over all things. And I ended with, I love, love, love the citation uh, in the lesson that to turn our gaze to the spiritual record of creation, to that which should be engraved on the understanding and heart with the point of a diamond and the pen of an angel. And I just, I've always loved that and um, was so grateful to read it again in the lesson. And um and it is true, the more that we live these qualities, that's how we gain our dominion over everything. That's right. Thank Very you. Very good. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Carrie sent in something saying that I exercise the gift of dominion from my God over everything unreal. And that's very true. It's we have dominion over all things, but we have to be listening and obeying God in order to have that dominion. Um, and then it's quite amazing. So, well, I like the idea that you alluded to that the us that God really points to the completeness of God. There isn't anything left out. God is all. So if you think there's anything else, well, <laughs> if it's real, it's part of God. Mm -hmm. And we have, and we have to, uh, we have to reflect as the image. All seven of those synonyms, not, not just one or two. And that is our responsibility. Very good. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And that's why the kingdom of God is within you, as it also says in the lesson. It's all there within you. You don't have to seek extraneous anything um this was another 
from Riki, because he says in, in Genesis 2, you're introduced to Jehovah or the Lord God, false concept of God who loves and hates and blesses and curses, gives life and takes a, takes it away in death. A supernatural man. Yeah. Yeah. A super, a super mortal. <laughs> Reject this false concept of God as wholeheartedly as you would a drink of hydrochloric acid. <laughs> and he says, are you accepting any of the jo Jehovah's concepts of God? Here is a good test question. What would make you supremely happy? If you ever get the answer, money, a better job, a husband, a wife, a position, a first reader, <laughs> goes on. Um, you can be sure that to that extent you are a Jehovah worshiper. For you are believing that material things and human circumstances are the happiness maker or the heaven creator. In your experience, when you can honestly say, God, divine spirit alone makes me happy always, for he is the one and only maker. You are then on the right track and are worshiping God as he really is. If you find yourself begging God or pleading with him to do something, you can be sure you have reverted to worshiping Jehovah rather than the Lord God. Almighty. Wow, that's quite a test. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's that's knowing everything is in God. All good. Everything is in God. To him we turn. And he does not withhold any good from us. He does not. And as you know this, you'll be surprised at the wonderful good things you experience in your life. It'll just come, but you'll see it. You'll see the giver more than the gift. It reminds me of what Jesus told that rich man to sell all he has and give to the poor and then come and follow him. You know, give up all that mm -hmm. stuff. It's so important. And that was the point, the, the trust and love of what he had. That was the point. It was um, extraneous stuff, not things that God had blessed him with. I suspect that this may be the reason that Jesus' original disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. They had probably been taught to plead with God, mm -hmm. you know, to beg God to do things, uh, you know, to get rid of the Romans or, you know, whatever. But they saw Jesus doing things totally differently, and they they had to they had to know that there was something that they were missing, <laughs> and they wanted they wanted to learn how to pray correctly, and that's why I'm sure you know that's why Mrs. Eddie has a whole chapter on prayer to explain this what true prayer is. It's not pleading with God. It's declaring the truth about God and lifting your own thought up to reality. Thank you. Yes. It brings to mind the the article we have by Kratzer, uh, The Law of Right Feeling. He talks about 
us reflecting peace, love, joy, and confidence. Those are attributes of God, and we reflect that regardless of what the outer picture is or what mortal mind is trying to swear to believe. I love that. That's Thank great. you. Yes, it's a wonderful article. Goodness, we just have so many wonderful things to work with. If you can't find something good in our website, <laughs> it's not looking hard enough. <laughs> it's not looking at all. <laughs> Um, Jeremy, did you want to comment on what you had sent me? Oh, um, well, you know, we had some, we had some people, and I know I've done this in the past, sort of like questioned why we are in this Adam dream, and I, I was just glad to have a better sense of that we don't need to figure out all that that dream logic <laughs> called it, yeah, and you. just get away from it. And, and yeah, I'm just grateful to, to see that that Genesis two picture is really, has nothing good in it. So yeah. I don't know if you want me to say more than that, but. Well, thank you. No, that's true. And, and this is Ed, Eddie in questions and answers. She gets asked that about why are we put in this situation? And her answer is. What situation? <laughs> <laughs> Who says we are? Who says we are? It also came to me. Somebody asked me that question oh so long ago, and I thought about it for a moment, and then I thought, well, I guess if it could be explained, it would be something, because that which is nothing, you, you can't explain it. There's just nothing to explain. It's just isn't. True. How do you explain two and two is five? The only thing you can do is say, well, all I can tell you is that it's four. <laughs> That's, That's it. Yeah. Thank you. That's it. Yes. Good answer. Yes. <laughs> so there was one other thing I wanted to share with you from Ricky. There's a lot, and you all should get your own copy. But he talks about this is the eighth lie, that a false sense of God environs and places you. The Bible reads, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Jehovah did not create your universe, your environment, or place. God, divine love, creates your world, and it is a perfect environment. You are placed in this divine perfection by God the Almighty. We sometimes ask, why am I here anyway? What do we mean by the word here? Do we mean a material mortal world, then we are accepting this lie that Jehovah has placed us in mortality. The alert Christian scientist knows that there, that the only here is the omnipresence of God, spiritual perfection. In Elohim, divine love, who places us in this heavenly kingdom, and it is Elohim, divine love, which places us in this heavenly kingdom. Be alert on this subject and its relationship to your home, environment, position, family, relationships, etc. Our leader says in Unity of Good, page 3, he guides every event of our careers. You know in the study of the subject of psychology, one hears a great deal in regard to the part that heredity and environment plays upon an individual. Here is a phase of that same lie that your environment determines who you are, what you can do, and what you will finally accomplish. 
Don't accept this lie. That is a false sense of environment, and it has no fluence, influence over you whatsoever. God divine love unfolds the good in your experience. He has invi environed you in the kingdom of heaven. And I love that because, boy, we can all talk about that, can't we? <laughs> and here it debunks that Adam lie. Now, Carrie sent me, I thought it was just a really beautiful article, which I'm going to have Gary read the whole thing today because uh, it was hard to excerpt from it. <laughs> and it kind of sums up a lot about this Adam dream. This is from the uh, 1901 uh, Sentinel, and it's by Cyrene Emery, and it's entitled Hidden But Not Destroyed. Hundreds of years ago, in the very dawning of the 14th century, a great painter, Giotto the Glorious, took up his brushes one day and painted a portrait on the wall of one of the rooms of the Bargello in Florence. For many months, that fair Italian city had been plunged in civil war, and the hearts of her true children had been very heavy within them, as every day they heard the clash of swords in the streets. But now, in 1302, peace was once more established. The volatile Florentines had forgotten their feud and chattered like friendly sparrows in the old market, while the dark streets and viale once more echoed the songs of the flower girls calling their sweet wares. It was in commemoration of this happy piece that Giotto painted the, his picture on the walls of the Barcello. A group of the leading minds of the hour, among the rest, Dante, painted it only as Giotto could paint, in glowing splashes of color that time, and <clears throat> that time, with all its wanted power, can scarcely dim. Years passed. The peace was broken once and again. Giotto and Dante and the singing flower girls no longer walked by the Arno. The room in the Bargello little by little changed its uses and gradually filled with rubbish. The walls grew dingy with dirt and dust only until only dimly could any eye discern the faces in Giotto's picture. Scarcely even dimly um, unless memory guided the glance. Then came a day when somebody whitewashed the wall, and after that the years did their worst. Dante's pictured face was lost to every eye on earth. Five long centuries and more kept the secret, until, in 1851 or thereabouts, a certain student of art found, in legend or history, a hint that somewhere in Florence was hidden a masterpiece precious alike for the artist's sake and for the dark, stern face that it portrayed. He studied and he searched, found first the building, then the room, then the wall. Careful hands went to work, delicately, daintily, and now Giotto's picture is revealed once more, almost as fresh and bright as in those faraway days when it was painted. And the story of Giotto's picture points, like all things else, to truth. In the beginning, a noble picture was conceived by the master mind. Even the idea of a creation that should mirror and express all that was in that mind. For mind was to conceive, for mind to conceive was to create. 
man made in the image and likeness of God expressed the perfection of God, a perfection in which was no evil, no blemish or defect, neither indeed could be. In all that fair universe, there was no power, since God good was the all power that could hurt or destroy or make afraid. In all the universe was no evil presence, since all that was, was God, good, and his manifestation. And God's perfect law, which is harmony, brooded over and governed flower and beast and man. But presently a mist seemed to rise, a mist of misunderstanding, of ignorance and fear. And it grew and thickened until, to mortal thought, this perfect creation of God became dim, as a star shines but faintly through some wandering cloud. In the mist, mankind began to fancy that phantoms moved, creatures not of God's creation, evil shapes which the pure good mind that made all could never have conceived, sick, tired, discouraged men and women, little children writhing in the agonies of inherited tortures, sinful creatures shrinking from even that dim light, a horrible medley. Little by little, as the misunderstanding grew, the perfect creation was hidden from sight, and mortal eyes saw only the phantasmagoria that came and went and came again, the ghostly people from the realm of dream. What wonder that earth became a place of tears and groans, or that men turned to the most mysterious vision of all and decked it in soft, somber robes and named it our friend Death, who somehow will set us free. And yet, not all men, for here and there some seers still dimly discern the truth of creation. Here and there, pure eyes pierced the mist and caught the glow of a great light. But just what the light should reveal, or how to come nearer, they knew not, until at last, in the fullness of time, came a guide to them. Straightway he led to where God's work lay hidden, revealing in thought and deed the Father, he interpreted men to themselves. Before his feet the mist melted, at his voice the darkness grew light, and, whose, and those who cared to see beheld again God's world and his child made in his image and likeness. Those who cared to see, they are only a little band, all told, and after a while the master went his way. Some of those who had followed him and caught a glimpse of the hidden glory made a record of his words and deeds, so that in all the ages those who would, who would might find the way too. Many men, good and true, longing for the light, read and pondered and started in their quest, hoping, yearning, despairing, for in the darkness they had misread the words of the wayshower, and how could they find the way? Then one day it was learned in Christian science 
which was discovered and founded by Mary Baker Eddy, that the mist rose no higher than men's thoughts, and that it could no more change and make imperfect God's perfect creation than the whitewash on the walls of the Bargello in Florence could change the picture that it hid. That fear and ignorance and misunderstanding can only, at the most, hide for a little time what can never be destroyed, even the harmony and perfection and glory of God's work. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.